Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, we're going to jump right in, and I think you've got some topics lined up for us from the online clinics. So where do we want to head? What's first? Yeah, I picked a few topics from the online clinics. So I have, you know, a little handful. I have some things about equipment. We haven't talked a lot about equipment, I think, on the podcast. A little bit about video and training, of course. But uh, before we get into those, there's one conversation in the online clinic that I thought was very interesting because sometimes we forget, we, we take things for granted. When we clicker train our animals for many, many years, the way they are with us, we can sometimes take for granted. And this person was saying she was remembering the, the first time that the mare she was riding, um, when she took her off the halter in the arena, And the horse just, you know, went, walked away from her all the way to the other end of the arena and it broke her heart, you know, and because that's, you know, horses that are not uh, trained with rewards like we do, that's what they do. And she was saying that when she started clicker training this mare, the mare, of course, and, and she remembers that moment too, when the mare came running back to her and stayed with her. But when she discussed that with other people in her barn, people were saying, oh, I can't train my horse without a rope because she won't stay with me. And she was saying, you know, they, they didn't ask themselves why. You know, they thought it was just like that. And that's the way my horse is. I can't take the lead off because she'll just go away. Um, And so I thought, you know, it was a good reminder because I know uh, my horses, they stick with me. Uh, Woody, when he sees me, it's like, oh, you know, the eighth marvel of the world just arrived. Um, And even, you know, when, when Pico was alive, I remember when I first had him, he, he wasn't sticking to me as the other two were. He, he could get distracted sometimes, but at the end, you know, he would never, ever, ever, ever leave me. He was always, you know, if he was very good at distance work, yeah. but he, you know, if the cue was to be with me, he would certainly stay with me. So I don't know, I thought that was interesting because it's something we take for granted. Well, we sometimes. do. And the, um, I was, looking at reading something that I'd written actually about command-based training and cue-based training and that you know in, in punishment-based, force-based, command-based training, whatever uh, designation you give it, that one of the things that people say is that the animals will give just what they need to give in order to avoid corrections mm-hmm. and that when you you take the halter off they leave that's there is no relationship they're they're they, they're gone they're they're back out in the pasture they're with their friends they're they disconnect yeah. and with our horses when you take the halter off they're still saying 
oh, I don't want to leave you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying with you. Mm. And that's part of the charm of this work. And we do take it for granted. Well, no, I don't want to say we take it for mm -hmm, granted. Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't, I don't. But we, we forget that it can be different. I certainly appreciate that dance that we have always of the partnership that's there. That when you go, uh, and it's not mm -hmm. even when I go out into the arena, it's when Robin comes and, and knocks on my office door and says, You've been on the computer long enough. It's time to come and play. <laughs> oh, you have a, and it's such an amazing setup. Yeah. And then he, he insists on, I want to play now. How does he do that? What does he do? How does he bang on the door? What does he do? No, no, no. He doesn't bang on the door. Oh, he would, he's too polite to do something like that. that. You know, that's such an interesting thing, Dominique, because when a lot of people, when they see this, they would say, Oh, he's banging on the door. Well, if if you came to my barn and knew I was in the tack room, you would knock on the door and I would say, oh, Dominique is knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say, oh, Dominique is banging on the door. Unless unless you were, you know. You were <laughs> well, really... it depends. Yeah. <laughs> right. It depends but, on the you know, intensity. <laughs> I, I, so he softly knocks on the door. I would say that he knocks on the door <laughs> okay <laughs> that it has the same signal intent that you have when you knock on mm. my office door right and but i do find it so interesting how we regard it's because essentially it's the same behavior it's mm -hmm. it's done for the same intent you want to get my attention you want me to come exactly and open the door and say hello mm. he wants to get my attention to have me come and open the door <laughs> and say hello and when it's an animal that does it, mm. people will say he's banging on the door, which has this implied, ooh, mm. not a nice, you know, bad, bad behavior. Bad manner. when manner. a human does it, it's, oh, yeah. you're knocking on the door. Hi. <laughs> and because you respond, it doesn't escalate, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So he comes and knocks on the door and I respond and his, his behavior will indicate to me and, and the context, the time of day, you know, I know he's, I know what he likes to do at mm. certain times of the day. And it's like, okay, I get it. I've been on the computer long enough. You want to play. And then. And, and he's not a, it hasn't increased, like he's not abusing it, you know, because sometimes you think, oh, should I respond to this? <laughs> what, what is it going to look like in five years? Am I going to have to go say hi every 10 minutes? Do you have an off switch for this? You just change places? You just go somewhere else? I, I, I respond. So Robin, as you know, had a catastrophic colic in 2014. And he had to have surgery. Mm. It was a horrible surgery. Very hard recovery. And... You know, I came very, very, very close to losing him. Colic is such a horrible thing. And you know, because you've been through it and you've been through the mm -hmm. surgeries with, with, um, with your horses. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing I could figure out that I needed to change. That's awful. That's the worst. You know, at least when you can find a cause, you can change something. But yeah, 
even if it's, but you know, the, the things that you would normally say, oh, well, you need to change this or you need to change mm-hmm. that. Those were in place already. The only thing I could figure out was at that time I was not staying at the barn with him and that I had been late getting to the barn and he had eaten hay that he normally mm. would have rejected because he was hungry. And so after that, okay. I from that point on, I've made sure that there is always mm. fresh available mm. hay 24-7. And so even if there is plenty of hay on the floor, okay. if he's rejected it, he's mm. rejected it. And I don't want him eating it. You know, if he doesn't, if, if it's not up to his standard, whatever his standard is, then it's not up to his standard, and I will give him fresh hay. So if he comes and knocks on my door and says, yeah. I'm hungry, I believe him. And, and I, don't, I don't leave it to chance because that colic that he had came on so fast, so out of the blue, that uh, I pay attention mm. when Robin says, I need something from you. So if he's thirsty, he can come and get me. And, you know, and I'll look, oh, right, you are thirsty, your water bucket's down. When he's hungry, he comes and gets me. If there's plenty of hay, because there's, there's always hay on the floor, and, they're, they're, and they have three hay nets, so there's always hay in the hay net. So they're, they're never without food, but it may just not be fresh enough for him. So uh, when, he, when, he, when he comes to summon me for something, I respond because here's a negative reinforcer. You know, negative reinforcements everywhere. They are strong. Yeah. Well, it's not that. I'm just so afraid of triggering another colic. So in order to avoid another colic, I get up and respond to it. So it doesn't escalate because I don't put it into an extinction. And that's how you keep... That's how you keep it mm-hmm. manageable. I'm consistent. You know, and sometimes all it is is I need to get up, give him a hug, give him a kiss, uh, you know, check his water mm-hmm. bucket, and then I can go back to work. And it's not a bad thing. As many hours as I sit on a computer, it's not a bad thing to get up every now and then and walk up and down the barn. Yeah, and like we said in the in one of the podcasts uh, recently, the conversation is not a burden. That's right. The conversation is not mm-hmm. a burden. And I find it charming. What's really interesting, mm. what I find fascinating is that Fengor never knocks on the door. He leaves it completely okay. up to Robin. And and what I'm beginning to to think in the mornings now, because Fengor gets uh, medication in the morning, and it, it helps him with his breathing. And if I'm running a little bit late because I've gotten on the computer and I haven't gotten off, I think there's this collaboration of Fengor sort of nudging Robin and saying, she needs to go get her. Go get her. I need my medication. And the two <laughs> of them, when I open the door at that hour, they'll both be lined up. Fengor will be lined up next to Robin and and Fengor gets his meds and Robin stands next to him and watches me hand feed and Fengor gets multiple pills so it takes um, several handfuls to make sure that all the pills are consumed and Robin just stands there really patiently um, letting Fengor get his pills. It's very cute. 
Mm. It's very cute. It sounds but wonderful. But it's only Robin mm. who knocks on the door. Never Fengor. Mm. Because I think <laughs> Fengor doesn't need to. So talk about not being scientific. Right. You know, that this is the part where <laughs> you know the the uh, where we can just be well, you know, superstitious behaviors, when you don't know what got you a reinforcer, whether it's positive or negative, um, they yeah. happen. You know, when Picot got sick, because Picot was always, his digestive system was always, he was never, he never had a colic in his life. You know, he always, he was a very, he was kind of always a little bit chubby. Whereas the end, he was very thin. And for a year, we tried to, to make him um, gain weight and it yeah. wasn't working. Uh, we had some blood tests done, and, but he started uh, colicking about six months before uh, the end. And I couldn't figure out, you know, what it was. At some point, I thought, are people coming? Because they were in the summer paddock. It was August when he had the first one people coming in to give him maybe apples or things he shouldn't be eating um because I'm very careful with apples with my horses because the vet said to me can give them gas so I'm very yeah. very scarce and so I was afraid that maybe people were coming in with apples and the first time it happened it was the um farrier's day oh. and you know yeah. so coincidence he had a second milder colic um, a month later, I think. And then he had another one, which was very violent, again on the farriers. <laughs> or the second one was again on the farriers. And I thought, you know, what, what happens at the farrier? He's been, you know, he, he was just trimmed by, yeah. by then because we, as you know, we pulled off his shoes. And he's, you know, 21-year-old horse. Is, he's had his feet done. His entire life. Exactly. Yeah. So there's not, and there's same farrier, same place. So there was nothing that could have caused some extra stress. And then, you know, after that third one, which was very violent, I had to bring him in the hospital and it, and they, and they saw that he had cancer. He had oh. lymphoma and his digestive system was quite, um, don't know the word in English, but quite uh, damaged, if you like. No. So, you know, I kept racking my brain, you know, what is it? The food, this, that, people coming in, the farrier, but it was none of that, you know, yeah. it was cancer. Um, and it probably was, you know, in the, because he had been losing weight for over a year. So, you know, cancer take a long time to develop. Yes. So, yeah, when, when you can't find um, how to get to your reinforcer, you start you know, having all these superstitious ideas of how to, you know, it's like when people have those uh, underwear, they like baseball players that oh, wear yeah. those underwear because they're going to win if they wear those underwear. That's when they hit the home run. Exactly. Yes. So you know, it's, it's funny because I, I know neither one of us were expecting to be talking about college today. No, not but, at all. But we're on the subject and we have both experienced catastrophic colics. You know, Robin was, he was never, he was literally never sick a day in his mm. life until that colic. Mm. And it came on really fast. And when the, when I had the vet come out, 
I thought it was just a mild little colic because he was not showing pain any to any great extent. I've seen a lot of colics, mm-hmm. and this one just this didn't look like very much. He yeah. was he was stretching out, but he wasn't he wasn't rolling. It wasn't he wasn't like, sweating. He wasn't sweating. It wasn't mm-hmm. you know none of those things that you see in some of the gas colics where they have those spasms of pain and they have to walk, walk, And walk, they and throw they, themselves, themselves on the no, wall. None of that. So when the vet came out and said, is surgery a possibility? I think you should ship him. It was like, what? It was mm. a total shock. And it was in February and there was snow starting. So we had, and, and the trailers were snowed in. So we couldn't, we had to dig trail. It was, it was a nightmare. It's a and nightmare. It's a nightmare. But the one thing that I am so grateful to you for is that because of the uh, fact that I was going up to the retirement farm mm-hmm. and you had several of the older horses who were prone to serious colics. And what I learned from you is if surgery is a possibility, mm-hmm. don't wait ship yeah. them fast yeah you have a you short know, window you have a really short window mm. so if you if you think that that even if you think well hopefully it'll resolve medically but if the best send, start, them, a, yeah, send, send them, them anyway yeah send them anyway send them mm. sooner rather than later well you know when 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 it happened with Pico, so i spent the whole night with him and it was at, it was, um, we had a curfew here during the oh, pandemic. Yeah. At 10 o'clock, we were supposed to be back home. And he started, the colleagues, he started showing signs. You know, I got a call around five. And so, and and the girl was leaving. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll pick up from there, you know. So I went very mild at the beginning. And, um, but at 10 o'clock, I was supposed to go back home. And I, I... I decided that, no, I'm going to spend the night. And so I spent the night. I had the vet come at 2 a.m. And, um, you know, we gave him um, pain relief. And at 7 o'clock a.m., he was in real pain. And he had had, you know, whatever you... uh, um, I don't know how you say in English, but the things you give to to have the colic pass, you know, you can... Give once or twice, but if that doesn't work, you have to take note. And you know, by then he when because I was walking him every hour, and you know he had been fine. You know he had been so sweet walking every hour throughout the night. But at seven o'clock, he threw himself on the ground. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and it was like minus thirty in the oh. arena. <laughs> Because this arena where I am, contrary to the one I had at Cavalia, is not heated. I was so cold and he wouldn't get up. And of course, now by then I decided to to ship him. But I had no idea that they were going to call me and talk to me about cancer. Yeah. I had no idea because actually the the colic was okay. Uh, Because the thing too at the hospital is they can keep them well hydrated because they'll put them on um, On fluids fluids. and so you don't have to worry about that because if you if they start fasting which is what they should be doing if you know you have a colic you should take all the food away and 
just leaves the drinks, but they usually don't drink much. And so they can start to dehydrate. And also what happens if it takes too long is that the part of the uh, digestive system can die. Yes. And so this is why it's a good idea to, even if they're going to, and when they do resolve it medically, meaning without surgery, it's not, it's actually not that expensive. You know, you would think that the visit of a vet at the barn compared to sending your horse to the hospital, I know here it's a university hospital, maybe it's different, but it's, it's when you get to the surgery and you start testing for all kinds of things, that's when the bills add up. But, you know, if it's just going to be resolved where they hydrate him, they have 20, because what happens too is you can stay awake for a whole night with them and walk them every hour, but If you do this two, three days, you know, um, you're too tired, you can't so where and you have to re start feeding them gradually so they can do all that. And you know, you're trying to sleep, you know, maybe (laughs) not as well, but you're sleeping. So anyway, for, for me, I think it's a good idea if you have a how far your your hospital was how how far from where you live, we're in a really great situation because the uh there's a was a there's a superb veterinary hospital that's just an hour south of us and there's another one that i have not used but it's roughly i would say an hour hour and a half north of us and Mm -hmm. then if things if we needed it cornell university with their veterinary college that's to the west three hours and tufts university is so we're in a great little pocket where there's this really all these resources Uh, yeah of course it all comes with a price tag and and i think that's one of the other pieces that is really hard with modern veterinary care whether we're talking horses or small animals there's there's so much more that veterinary medicine can offer us these days but it comes at a tremendous cost mm. and there are times where you know, i always think when you know, 20 30 years ago when you had a sick animal you could basically do everything that the vets were telling you was possible and it wasn't very much but you were you had that feeling of You've done everything that you could, and and it didn't break the bank. You know, we didn't have to remortgage the house. And these days, when you say you know if surgery is a possibility, you know the the good news is that the surgeries are much more successful than they used to be. Much more successful. Yeah, sometimes it's hard because yeah, you have to make a decision. You know, in the case of Pico, when they said to me he has lymphoma, there are three kinds of lymphoma. One of them, for sure, was in that one is there is uh, on the skin, and that one can be treated. But the other two, there's digestive and there's general lymphoma, and you know it's. The, the, the general, forget it. I mean, it's, you won't have a very efficient treatment and it's a lot of, you know, you have to go, um, he described to me what could be done, but you know, it's, it's very, um, heavy kind of treatment. Um, 
So the general one, there's no. So the digestive one, you could give cortisone, yeah, cortisone. But then again, you're just buying time. No. And so, but they didn't know, they didn't know at that point whether it was just it, well, just if it yeah. was the in the digestive system or if it was general. And so, you know, I had to take into account many, many things, what the treatment could, if how effective it was, the age of the horse, the, the Pico had some arth, severe arthritic yeah. issues. And so, you know, I, I decided that, you know, we weren't going there, but I had a, a, an autopsy done. Yes. And I was so happy. I did. And it's pretty cheap, actually, to have that done. And I'm so happy I did because it confirmed that it was the general form. And, you know, when I spoke with the vet, because when I got the report, he said, don't you, you can call me if there are things you don't understand. And half of it was you know, pretty. Um, so I phoned him and he said, look, you definitely took the right decision um, because, you know, maybe he could have lived a month or two and he, he would probably have gone again into severe colic. And the last one I have to say was very traumatic for me yes. that this he, he was obviously in a lot of pain at the end of the night. So, yeah, but you don't know huh, until you do the autopsy. And I was waiting for the results because I kept thinking, oh, what if it were in the digestive system and if I could have done anything or but So it came back and he said, look, he was, you know, there was a lot of, um, um, it was all over, yeah. you know, and the digestive system was extremely, um, Damage. So you so. you spared him a great deal of pain. Yeah, and in that, um, it made me feel good because you know until the very last few weeks he had a soup with me he had a super good life. Yes, you know I I know I did everything I could for this horse, and so I didn't drag him into um, any um, how do you say in English acharnement? You know when you oh, what's the word. Mm, you know, when you continue to treat and treat yes, and treat yes. and, and it's, it's hopeless. What's the word for that in English? Anyway, anyway. I, so I, I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, so I was happy about, you know, how, and, and I asked him, oh, I don't want to get too emotional though, because this is only last January and it's only nine months. Um, um, I asked them, you know, since he, since we were going to euthanize him to, um, cause I want, and I wasn't able to visit, but because he, the decision was made, they allowed me to go visit. And so of course I came with lots of treats because yes. it didn't matter anymore, you know? Um, and I asked them to give him some hay. So when I arrived there, <clears throat> he was eat, he was happy because, you know, he had been fasting for a couple of days and now he had some beautiful hay and I came in and, you know, lots of carrots and hugs and all that. So it was a, it was a good end, you know? Yes. And so I had his, um, uh, you know, I had a private cremation that's expensive. And now I have a little heart with his um, ashes in it. Yeah. Anyway, you want to talk about equipment? Just to change <laughs> yes, the subject. Let's change yeah, the subject. <laughs> let's change the subject. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so in the online clinic, 
there was, you know, just a quick, quick um, discussion on that. And I thought, oh, we haven't talked about this on the podcast. And you, because you, you were saying you, you liked vests. And uh, you mentioned that you could go and buy a photography vest or a fish vest, but that you like the garden vest. Yes. And I've been looking at the garden vest because, um, so I want to ask you a couple of questions on the garden vests, but I've been using just a little pouch, uh, you know, just like a, it's actually a, a, a little waist bag. Yeah. You know, I've, I've probably b- bought about, I don't know, four over the years. They're very cheap and they've always worked super well for me. They're these little black pouches. But when I work with both horses, one on my left, one on my right, sometimes I put two of the pouches, but that's kind of awkward uh, because there are times when I want to feed them at the same time. Yes. And if my pouch is on my left, it's not very practical. I have to preload my hands And I don't always like preloading my hands because I do use my hands for all kinds of things. So I've been thinking about buying myself a vest. And so I looked at fishing vests and photography vests. And then when I saw your comment, I had never thought about a garden vest. And so I looked at the garden vest. First of all, I think they're more elegant. Yes, yes. They come in pretty, prettier colors. Oh, my God. I went to look on the, because you mentioned the brand. And if anyone's uh, wondering, this is not a sponsored <laughs> plug or anything. Right. And, and as a matter of fact, I thought I would buy from them the Duluth Trading. Yep. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. it yes. Duluth pr- Trading. They're yep. really nice. And some of them are actually uh, on sale right now. But <laughs> it's very complicated to import to Canada because you uh, have to pay the import fee uh, after the purchase. And I've done that before with, um, you know, carriers. And, you know, I've it's it hasn't been always a very good experience. So I try to stay away from anything that says import fees will be added, you know, afterwards and you'll have to pay that directly to the transporter but it doesn't matter I'm sure I'll find an equivalent here but so tell me about what you look for in a vest well first of all I think okay so so I think the world divides between people who like pouches and people who prefer vests and I've never particularly liked vests it's not a it's not because one works better in training than the other. I just prefer to wear a vest than a pouch. It's just a personal preference. Well, they're more pockets. They're more pockets. I mean, it's so, a, you, know, you know, you have the right. fish vest, they have like lots of there pockets. There are tons of pockets. But so, you know, a vest is convenient for somebody like me who sort of, you know, I don't carry a purse or and so the extra pockets are really useful. And when I'm working mm-hmm. at a barn, I can, I've got my, my my phone or whatever else I need can be shoved into a pocket and your uh, gloves in the back gloves, pocket right so it's mm. it's very convenient your life can sort of be shoved into your vest as, as needed mm. and one of the things that I would say I will often see people use their pants pockets mm, that's pretty tight and it it rarely works no it's they usually fumble there's a struggle if yeah. they're kneeling down or bending down. 
bending over. The treats come up. Well, it, it blocks access. How, you can't get into your front pocket of your jeans or your pants if you're bending over. And, and they don't hold very much. And it's just, it's not the best solution. That will hurt your timing and that will make yes, your horse yes. frustrated. So in general, when I see that, it's, oh, you need to rethink your pockets. Mm. What we want are pockets that you can access easily. I, because I live in snow country in the winter, I prefer not to have a zipper or because when you're taking your hand in and out of a zippered pocket and you get that little bit of abrasion going mm. in, when, you're, when it's really cold, it can just do in the back of your hand. Yeah. So there's certain pockets, I choose them because uh, they're not going to in the winter, create an additional layer of pain and discomfort. <laughs> mm. But those are things you don't think about until you experience them. And if you're working in Florida, they're, they're not relevant. Right. With, right. Um, with a lot of the fishing slash hunting vests, you have to choose them mm. carefully because sometimes on some of those vests, the way the pockets are set, when you bend over, your treats are going to fall out. Yeah, so not, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So not all hunting slash fish, fishing vests are equal. Mm. When you find a style that works well, they're great. They work great. The problem with them is that you get really tired of the same khaki colors, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's beige yeah, or khaki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Occasionally mm. black. You can get, you can get them yeah, in or black, which is, which is fine. Mm. And I got tired of wearing a hunting vest that looked like a hunting vest or a fishing mm. vest. So when, the, when I stumbled across the garden vest that Duluth Training had, and I actually had, when I started buying them, it was their original design. And then, of course, as soon as I found them, they changed the design, which is fine, but it's not quite as good as the original. But they come in pretty colors. You're, you've got... And they have of lots colors. of colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have and lots. they change yeah. them from one year to the next, so you've got oh, yeah, okay. uh, more choice of colors. The pockets are really good. Mm. The pockets hold a lot, so mm. you can you can pour in a coffee can of hay stretcher pellets and go out and train and know that you're not going to have to interrupt and keep interrupting to refill your pockets. That you mm. can plan for a long training session, and your pockets will will hold up through that. You can ride in them. Oh. So they're not going to bounce around. Because some of the pouches and people, when they start riding, they don't like the pouches anymore because mm. of the way the pouches bounce. You've got pockets on either side. So when you're working multiple horses or when you're, it's a nice way of keeping track. If I put the same amount of treats in my, in my left pocket and my right pocket, at the end of the training session, have I used up the treats equally? Or is my right pocket still stuffed full and my left pocket is empty? Well, that tells me something about which side of the horse I've been working on. Mm, yeah. So that's interesting information. It's an interesting way of keeping track of it. But generally speaking, as long as you can get into your pouch in an efficient manner and get the treat out that you intended to get out, 
without a lot of fishing and fussing and your horse is getting impatient because you are taking so long, particularly when you have a new learner. You know, this becomes less relevant. You know, this is less relevant for your guys. They've, they've been at it for so long. If you're fishing into your pocket and, oh, it's winter and I'm I've got Kleenex in there. Yeah, there's, there's, but there's a lot more tolerance there. I wouldn't want once in a while, yes, but I wouldn't want to do that too often. But there's, there's more tolerance than mm-hmm. there would be if you were if they when they were brand new to clicker training, and you wanted the efficiency so that you were not building in unwanted behaviors into the food delivery process. So you want pockets that you can get in and out of efficiently, and then after that. It's really, some of it is a matter of style. You know, do you like pouches? Do you like vests? Some of it is a matter of, you know, of, okay, I, I, I filled my pockets and I bent over and half the treat spilled on the ground. Okay, lousy vest, get rid of it. Yeah, and I'm sure that could happen with the pouch too. I know the ones I get, they're, they're very, they, they can kind of unfold and they can be quite... Um, quite th- large or thick, you know, so there's yeah. a zipper, but I never zip it. Yeah, because the the treats don't fall off unless you know, I'm really, but they don't they don't fall off because like there's two flaps next near the zipper and yeah. it closes. But when I put my hand, I don't really feel the zipper. The advantage, I guess, too, is in the winter, I can put it over my winter coat. What do you do with your vest in the winter or you don't train? No, I oh, put you... it over my winter coat. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh-huh. the vest is always worn on the outside. So you, you take a larger size then. Yeah. You always order, when you're ordering vests, you always order. Larger. At least a, yeah, at least a size up because you want to be able to put it, if you're in snow country, you want to yeah. be able to put it over whatever winter jackets you wear. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's the, I think it's our first fashion talk. On the I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, I, it, it, it certainly helps to clear a, a more uh, dramatic uh, topic <laughs> like college. Yes, so. our previous one was on college. <laughs> what else yeah. about um, vests but, should people know? What about placement of pockets? Is that or length or have you found anything? that works or doesn't work because the fish vests are a bit shorter no then they, the, they can be they can be shorter and they they're sort of flat so they would be top would be parallel to the ground and some of the pockets that work really well sort of like a kangaroo pouch they're they're angled which also helps to keep food from falling out but i think people just have to try them and when we stumbled across right to Duluth and say, hey, you want to sponsor us? Mm-hmm. But because um, we, we're, when you stumble across a, a vest that works, you do want to let people know about it because not all vests are equal. And so when we stumbled across the Duluth trading their vests, it was, oh, here's, here's a source of attractive, you know, nice mm-hmm. vests. Yeah, they are nice. Um, they are nice vests. Yeah, they're elegant. Yeah. So that was, that was not what I was expecting when you said, oh, let's talk about equipment. I thought, yeah, we that's what I meant. About, yeah. About, I don't know, uh, bridles and no, saddles and vests. vests. And my God, we've spent 
a long time on this. So let's <laughs> go that. to my next topic, yes. which is not equipment, but it's a tool that we've talked about a lot. Of course, I'm going to make you wait until next time to learn what tool Dominique wants to talk about. What I want to talk about right now is dressage camp. It's already been, so don't worry, it's not something that, that I'm promoting right now, but I couldn't let it pass by without saying a little bit about it. Dressage camp for me was a really important event. Core to my work, central to my work, is this obsession with balance. And that's because my horses have shown me not only that balance really matters, that balance is important, but they've also shown me that with good training, you can keep your horses sound. You can ride your horse into soundness. You can ride in a way that keeps your horses sound, not just for a year or two, but for decades. And we know this now because we have horses that have been in this work for a long span of time, including my own. And the, the data is in, as it were. This work keeps horses sound. So clicker training isn't just about having a, a different way, a fun way of engaging with our horses. It's not just about being nicer in terms of how we teach a horse to, for example, pick up its feet or some of the fun games that we can play with using positive reinforcement. Clicker training, as I use it, the umbrella that I see when I talk about clicker training and what that means to me, when I say, you know, when I think about a clicker trained horse, the image that comes to my mind is that of a beautifully balanced, soft, round, engaged horse engaged physically, engaged mentally. And that's what is important to me, that, that I'm not just sharing the use of a marker signal, pairing that with positive reinforcement, that my work represents much more than that, that the totality of it includes this passion for balance. And that's what we indulged in, in dressage camp. And I was joined by three great co-creators in this. So Michaela Hempen shared video of her mayor Blondie that was just superb. So Michaela started us with the baseline of here is this horse that I took on who other people considered to be trained, not only trained, but well-trained. But what Michaela saw, what Michaela encountered was a stiff, unhappy, blocked horse whose response to a lead rope was to rear up or kick out, whose response to the reins was to compress and not truly go forward. So she was really very typical of what a lot of people encounter who take on horses that have been trained in command-based systems. And she walked us through the progression of lessons that she took Blondie through. And she has a beautifully documented with video. So we could see the progression from the groundwork into the riding and just the beautiful, beautiful work that Blondie is now producing. It was, it was a real treat to see this. So thank you, Michaela, for sharing so generously. And what's really neat about Blondie's work 
is that Michaela has been videotaping all of her sessions. So she can really take us through a progression. And Blondie is the third horse that she has taught using this work. So she has a much better understanding of how it works and where she wants to go than she did when she started her senior horse, Asloff. And then I so deeply want to thank Anya Baron for joining us. Her presentation was so perfect because what people really need, if we're going to say, you know, we, we can teach good balance, well, what does good balance look like? And Anya provided us with some just brilliant example, non-example comparisons that really helped to sharpen our eye, but also helped, helped us to understand why balance matters, why it matters when you are riding a horse where you're, you're pushing the horse forward into uh, closed hands, the damage that that can do to a horse. And it was just a profoundly important presentation. And then we had Anita Schnee, who tied some threads together by sharing with us the Feldenkrais work, the ATM lessons. And then I have to thank all of our participants who really made the work sing. It was just a fabulous, fabulous weekend. And I really wanted to thank everyone. And what we were able to do so beautifully was we could follow the thread from those core basic foundation lessons through the middle steps where you are introducing a horse to the groundwork. You're introducing the horse to saddles and bridles. You're introducing the horse to the idea of being ridden. And you're introducing the lateral flexions and the gymnastic exercises that are so important in terms of keeping our horses sound. And then we could carry that thread forward to the beautiful, beautiful work that Anya Baron represents. That when we're looking at clicker training, we're not looking at some separate other system. And then there's classical dressage. It's all one and the same. It's just that what I've done with this work is to take these really complex gymnastic exercises and break them down into smaller and smaller component parts. And very often when you take that constructional approach, your starting point is such a small step that it doesn't look like it's related to anything, much less to the finished, you know, where you want to go in terms of uh, your riding dreams. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people have struggled with a bit is, yes, they see the value in the foundation lessons. They see how it helps their horse. They see how useful it is to have these lessons in terms of establishing good basic ground manners. But how does standing on a mat relate to riding? How does the why would you leave me lesson and lateral flexions relate to shoulder in and haunches in. How do these pieces fit together? And what was really exciting this weekend is we could follow the thread from those first beginning lessons that look so far removed from where you want to go. 
we could follow that thread all the way through. And it felt very satisfying to be able to do that over the course of a weekend. It was an important, important event. So it's almost not fair to talk about it when it's already been and you're thinking, yeah, great. It's a great event, but I didn't get, you know, I, I didn't get to attend. I'm just hearing about it now. And I don't know if we will ever repeat it. I don't know what form the next presentation will take. But I do know that it was just really satisfying to see the whole arc of the training put together. Very satisfying indeed. And I'm sure in coming podcasts, we'll be talking about this more. The, the whole arc of this training that is so important for the welfare of our horses. So I'll just leave you with that to ponder. The, the pieces are all there. The work is all there in, in the books, the DVDs, clinics, the online courses. You can follow that thread for as far as you want to follow it. It's all there. Uh, it was just very satisfying to put it together all in one weekend and to have the confirmation that Anya Varen's presentation gave us that this is very much on the right track. So I thank you to everyone who participated. I'm sure we'll be continuing the conversation in future events. In the meantime, train well and have fun with your horses.